Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Is that my purpose? Simply to be a witness? We create our own purpose in life. Now go create yours. The great impasse has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think he's lost, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Yoel, the Facebook Supreme Court, whatever the fuck that is, just announced that Facebook has six months to decide whether to keep banning Donald Trump. Do you think we should have Trump back on social media? Well, I'm assuming you haven't checked out his new social media platform. I have, actually. You have? <laughs> yeah, did, wait, like, what's his... Just what's today, his, yeah. Uh, wait, what's his... <laughs> Social media platform. He it's has just like a blog. A, it's a blog. It's just a blog. But uh, but I, ah. I I read or somebody told me that he's trying to get around the Twitter ban by having some third party just tweet out everything that he posts on the blog. Yeah. Which yeah makes sense given when you read the blog post, they're just like tweets, right? They're not yeah well thought out or potentially <laughs> grammatical. The, 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 I like that he calls Liz Cheney warmonger. Liz yeah, Cheney, warmonger. Because like, <laughs> the internet, just, she the definitely is. Is it the internet's premier all caps uh, <laughs> social media outlet? It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Gu- so- guest post from Kanye West. <laughs> yeah. So, like, does Facebook have any? You know, is our decision consequential at all now that he's managed an end run around the Twitter ban? Like, maybe not. Right. Well, no, because they're banning those tweets now on Twitter. Oh, they are. Wow, shit moves quick, man. I don't know. I was looking back at some of some of the, you know, like at the at the blog at the posts, and you know, at their best, they're pretty funny. You know, <laughs> credit where it's like due. they even have uh, uh, like a Gogolian quality. Oh, yeah. look at that! It's going to segue it's, right into telling us. Uh, we should introduce Yoel, by the way. Yeah. Yoel Imbar is joining us, actually from the other room right now, currently in my house, physically on location in Pizarro Studios. Uh, Yoel Imbar from University of Toronto, famed Gogol scholar. Uh, yes. <laughs> hey guys. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here sharing my Google knowledge with, with both of you. The pandemic isn't over. You two shouldn't be anywhere near each other, right? We're now. just like, oh, I am fully vaccinated. And doesn't Yoel, matter. Yoel, Yoel actually is a refugee from Canada um, who came d- crossed the border, probably illegally. I'm sure there's some law that he broke uh, just to get the free vaccine that presumably, you know, our evil capitalist nation shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be so much more advanced than socialist Canada. But open our borders is a problem. <laughs> yeah, they're really the problem yeah. is they let us in to start with. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's really it's uh, again, credit where it's due in Canada. It's still at least when I left, it was really tough for somebody who's 
you know, my age, I'm in 40s, early 40s with no pre-existing conditions to, to get a vaccine. Um, and we literally just drove across the border to a Walmart and it was like, have a vaccine. It was it was amazing. It was amazing. I love the United States. For all Canada's <laughs> shit, too. Like all their preening and all, you know. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah. There's a real, real comeuppance for them. This is why we you there's a real shot that we'll lose Paul Bloom within the next year. <laughs> what you mean he's gonna die of COVID? <laughs> like lose him from the <laughs> earth, right? Yeah, yeah. He's in Toronto now. Yeah. He's just stuck. No vaccine. Jesus, that's dark. <laughs> he's man. not in his early forties. Yeah. Right, right. I don't know. Maybe maybe he managed to get some of the vaccine that gives you blood clots. They were giving that he's, out he's, kind of more freely. He's uh <laughs> That's the one I got. He's no. part of the global elite. I'm sure they mailed him one. Yeah. Do you think Trump should be back on Twitter? I don't know. I I mean, I completely seriously, I'm uncomfortable with these uh, unaccountable corporations making these sorts of consequential decisions. On the other hand, I mean, he did incite people to storm the Capitol. So uh, I'm going to go with he should not be on Twitter, but it is a close call. Yeah. If if Twitter had just been sharper in its enforcement of violations, I would have zero problems with it because what I don't like is the 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 kind of like motiv- you know motivated searching out for violations that led to I, I think Trump probably clearly violated Twitter policy, but you know they're just not very good at enforcing Twitter policy. And so for them to selectively choose, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, even though for fuck's sake, I don't want Trump on Twitter. I think Twitter is a better place without him. But like, it's hard to defend it to people who who really care. Yeah, I also don't like I actually prefer Twitter with I mean, if if I separate everything except just me uh, having like my brother send me his funniest tweets every like few days. Like I, I really liked that. And so, um, so I sort You're of willing to take the collateral damage of like the Capitol. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just a bunch of politicians and they're fine. They're going down to their bunkers. So yeah. Um, in any case, it's pretty controversial whether he no. should be on Twitter. <laughs> oh, there should be a journal for that. There should be a journal in today's climate. <laughs> where people can just publish things and have them be assessed by their their ideas uh, and the arguments. If only there were such a journal. Well, luckily, Yoel is a hacker. He's a nerd. And um, we can't say what his methods were, but he was able to actually get into the editorial manager for the journal, the new journal of controversial ideas. Right. Yeah, and let me just say something about this journal. Um, this is... Edited by Jeff McMahon, Rutgers professor, last I know, Francesca Minerva, um, and Peter Singer, friend of the show, Peter Singer. And here's how they describe it. The Journal of Controversial Ideas offers a forum for careful, rigorous, unpolemical discussion of issues that are widely considered controversial in the sense that certain views about them might be regarded by many people as morally, socially, or ideologically objectionable or, of- or offensive. And here is one of the controversial parts of the Journal of Controversial Ideas. It offers authors the option to publish their articles under a pseudonym in order to protect themselves from threats to their careers or physical safety. Uh, we hope that this will also encourage readers to attend to the arguments and evidence in an essay rather than to who, who wrote it. Uh, <laughs> We aim to publish papers that are likely to advance knowledge and promote free inquiry, 
inquiry, inquiry, inquiry and rational argumentation. And so, yeah, like you said, Yoel was able to hack in. The first issue has already been released, but they have, we, we got abstracts that were submissions for future issues, right? Yeah. That's yeah, right. That's right. And we yeah. got some some very explosive stuff, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's living up to its stated purpose, uh, at least as far as we can tell from these abstracts. Should we read some? Sure. Let's do it. Should I go first? Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay. So you know that it's it's not a journal of controversial ideas issue if there's not something on trans issues, right? Right. So this is... This is a paper called, Are Trans Women Trans Men? Question mark. Just asking questions. <laughs> this, this is by uh, Leslie Carving Space, which I think is a pseudonym, which is not surprising given the emotional sort of temperature of this issue. Um, all right, so here's the abstract. I'm just looking at this for the first time. Since the dawn of time, the transgender debate has been very contentious. I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> On the one side, there are people who argue that trans women are women. On the other side are people who say that trans women aren't women, but are in fact men, or at least not women. But an oddly neglected possibility is that trans women are actually trans men. In other words, they used to be women, but they have transitioned into being men. I explore the implications of this conclusion and offer some reasons for why this space in the trans debate has been thus far unoccupied. Super counterintuitive, you know, but you need to explore <laughs> that conceptual space. You know? exactly. I, I, like totally. the, I like the, if you don't fill out quadrants, yeah. you really don't know what you're arguing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's definitely not something that would have popped into my mind. And, but, but, you right. know, with the forum for free and open inquiry, you know, you That's get right. that. Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, so I, I have one here that's, you know, social media is, is really had a, an overpowering effect on, on culture. And this one is on the moral, it's called The Moral Impermissibility of No Nut November. And uh, <laughs> so, so it says, uh, the popularity of No Nut November, in which individuals are challenged to abstain from masturbation or any form of orgasm, I shall argue, is morally impermissible. Whether from the standpoint of hedonistic utilitarianism specifically or any other form of consequentialism that holds that some form of pleasure ought to be maximized, the popularization of this idea has undoubtedly led the world to be a worse place, all things considered. In fact, from a consequentialist perspective, all months should involve nutting. Moreover, <laughs> if a situation allows for a nut to occur, I will argue, it is morally obligatory for that nut to occur. Mm. Implications for Jeffrey Tubin are discussed. Uh, <laughs> nice. This is uh, an article by uh, an author. I think this is a pseudonym as well. Peter Finger. Finger. Peter, yeah, yeah Peter Finger. probably. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, I know a, a Peter Finger. <laughs> well, yeah. c congratulate him on his acceptance. He's at uh, NYU. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, hot stuff, David. I, a, that's a, that's a real yeah. It was a real repugnant conclusion yeah, there. That I, 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 I I can't sign on to it, but I, I also can't marshal any objections. It's just pure sentiment that this is just absolutely right. disgusting. Right, right. I, I'm 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 kind of on board. Oh, you're uh, especially the obligatory part. <laughs> I mean, maximizing means maximizing. Just bite the fucking bullet, you know? Excuse me. I've got to totally. go fulfill my moral obligation. I'll be back in five to ten minutes. 
Uh, all right. Um, well, so I have I have a, a little bit of a different one that that came across my desk here. Uh, the author yeah. information here is actually completely redacted, so not even a pseudonym, which possibly would be too revealing. Yeah. Um, but the title yeah. is uh, "Ghosts: An Autoethnographic <laughs> Investigation," um, and the abstract. <laughs> the abstract reads uh, strong for a sentence here. Throughout history, humans have agreed that ghosts are real. However, lately it has become fashionable to argue that ghosts are not real because their existence yeah. would be incompatible with the laws of physics. In this autoethnographic <laughs> account, I debunk the facile scientism of these ghost deniers. That strikes me as overly argumentative, and I, I think maybe this needs to go through another editing pass. Facile. I, I don't know. I'm totally this. I like this. So far, you're preach. Uh, facile scientism of these ghost deniers with reference to my own yeah. personal experiences, including that one time a glass broke for no reason. And the other time I heard what definitely sounded like footsteps upstairs, even though I'm pretty sure no one but me was home. In the final section, <laughs> I sketch out future directions for first person research into the existence of non-corporeal sentient entities or NCSEs. Nixies, I guess we could say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He goes off the rails a little bit. It does. It does. It does. It takes a turn. But the the first half was strong, I feel. I mean, yeah. But when it goes off the rails, you could just tell what a sloppy mind is really producing this. (laughs) I mean, what kind of a person? It's so obvious that ghosts don't exist because nobody's won James Randi's challenge. I mean, like, do they at least consider that objection? They don't. And I think this is uh, an opportunity for you to write a letter in response to this piece of garbage (laughs) when it comes out. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll definitely do that. All right. Uh, interesting. I like that one. It's probably my favorite. Although, um, you know, all of them, I think it's good to air those ideas because. Um, all right. So this one is interesting in the sense that I think a lot of people, when they think of controversial ideas, uh, they think of hot button issues like whatever the trans debate or abortion or um, race issues Um but I think a, a, an article can be controversial or even radical in form as well as substance. So um, this is by Randall Hofstetter. I don't know if that's, I mean, maybe it's related to Douglas. Uh, I don't know. Um, so in this paper, you finally admit that you want to fuck me. <laughs> yes, you were a little coy about it, and maybe you honestly were conflicted at one point. I'm not sure. All I know is that you're ready to just flat out say you want to fuck me, right? I mean, just admit it. It's fine. But look, no offense, I'm probably not going to say yes. Nothing personal. You're just not my type. Actually, you know what? What the hell? Let's do it. Here's my number. And then he gives the number, but I'm not going to read that out because you know, <laughs> I don't want our, our listeners uh, mobbing him. But yeah, so that's I mean, that's something like I, I've personally never seen in, in a journal, you know, like a second person address. <laughs> I, I, um, I applaud their willingness to sort of go outside the standard uh, form of, of, you know, conceptual arguments or even empirical arguments and just just get to the point it, Act- it does sound like a sort of mcsweeney's rejection like decorative gourds <laughs> style um uh writing I, I like that it's not an academic ease yeah you know <laughs> um this person has found his or her voice and um yeah it's also accurate um, in that based on that i kind of do want to fuck them so <laughs> sounds <sexy. laughs> they're onto something all right <laughs> All right, Richard, you, you, heard, you heard the man. You heard him. <laughs> All right, so this next one is, is about harm reduction strategies. 
In fact, it's just called harm reduction strategies. So, um, there are consistent objections to public policies that rely on the principle of harm reduction, such as that of freely distributing condoms to high school students or that of providing clean needles to heroin addicts. However, such strategies have been put in place because of the overall net benefit they provide to society in the form of reducing unwanted pregnancies and STIs and of preventing the spread of AIDS amongst individuals addicted to heroin. I will argue that the prevention of the death of innocents by gun violence is an even more important societal goal. And given that a large proportion of gun deaths come at the hands of gang members engaging in drive-by shootings, often holding their guns sideways and hanging out of a car, firing <laughs> indiscriminately into crowds, I propose a mandatory training program whereby gang members are required to take mm -hmm. weekly courses in sharpshooting, held free of charge in local community centers and shooting ranges. So long as gang members are going to continue drive-by shootings, the least that a responsible society can do is minimize the deaths of innocent bystanders by increasing the accuracy of gang shooting so that innocent bystanders need not continue dying. This was uh, Furious Styles is the name of this author. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Furious Styles. Ah. Ah, that I one mean, was kind of serious. I feel like if you don't have empirical data you know, yeah. to back that up, that's just... It's just <laughs> and also, um, I, I feel that there's this traffics in some ugly stereotypes about the marksmanship of gang members. Where How do we I know? I feel like this person got all of their information yeah. from the movie Boys in the Hood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or Menace just, to Society. Or Menace to Society. It yeah. just yeah. stopped listening. <laughs> <It> just... <laughs> I mean, we don't know if that paper has been accepted, though, right? Good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. That could be the it's reject pile. <laughs> yeah, we, we're not sure. Okay. Uh, Yo Yoel, did you find any other ones? No, no. I, I only managed to dig out the one, but I, I uh, know you guys have better luck. So please keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have one here. This is by um, James Lynchdichi. <laughs> James Lindichi. Sounds That's a legit. Weird name. Yeah. It sounds like a real name. Possibly like a, a pseudonym. It sounds know. like a Sri Lankan. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Round Him Up by James Lindichi. <laughs> it, it's widely acknowledged that critical race theory is the greatest threat to civilization in human history. Yeah. There is less consensus on what to do about this. While some scholars claim in a free society we must tolerate the virulent spread of critical race theory through academia, government, media, finance, sports, Silicon Valley, sculpture, and sword fighting, I argue that we must instead that we must round up all known and suspected critical race theorists along with their allies and anyone who refuses to denounce them or recognize their world domination and torture them or at the very least make them show their penises <laughs> at the very least so I'm, I'm glad that's a sub-solution i would definitely like <laughs> if i'm among these people i would show my penis rather than being tortured i mean I do that for free. Yeah. <laughs> That's controversial, but, you know, like, I know that there are people out there who think that critical race theory is a great threat, so, um, I mean, I, I can know. just tell that this is, this smacks of whiteness, you know? I feel like that, that pseudonym was an attempt at, at avoiding the, the whiteness of the author coming through. You think? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I had another interpretation of the pseudonym. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yeah, like, the... Um, I'm really, even though I don't agree with, I, I, with this person, I would die for their right to, to say it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, the, the, the last one that I found, I feel like is kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I feel like maybe they're not getting enough submissions, but it's short and sweet. It's, it's just simply entitled, first you get the pussy. 
<laughs> yeah. Contrary to popular belief and idiom, I shall argue that first you get the <laughs> pussy, and only then do the money and the power follow. In rare cases, <laughs> even, I will argue that power comes first, then the pussy, and only finally does money fuck kids. Yeah, interesting. Because it's true that, like, at least a priori, I thought first you get the money, then you get the pussy. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It's just, again, it's one of those conceptual space arguments. Like, did, did, has anybody bothered to take sort of the to steal man the potential conceptual opposite of, of what they've been thinking? But I, but but unlike the trans one, where like I think that was probably unoccupied for a reason. Like this one, like I really needed to just kind of get. <laughs> turned around you know right 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 it's sort of it's it's sort of one where it awakens an intuition that you might have had all along you know? <laughs> and now i feel bad that i've spent all this mo- time like <laughs> chasing like, money, exactly chasing backwards, money. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good one to end on <laughs> probably <laughs> i have one that i'm not but in that vein and I'm, it's yeah. called on slapping bitches <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm I slapping was, bitches by Connor Ellsworth II. <laughs> in, this, in this paper, I argue that it's morally permissible to slap bitches. Not like every day, but I mean, sometimes a bitch needs some discipline. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, that it feels like it's in the same voice as the fuck me uh, one. Um, that guy's just very prolific. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, Yoel, anything more to say about the Journal of Controversial Ideas? Uh, nothing but that I, I think it's uh, an incredible enterprise and I wish them all the best. And I cannot wait to read the, the ghost paper in its entirety. The rest of them, I feel like I got it from the abstract. So honestly, I don't really need to read the whole thing. <laughs> but, but the ghost paper, I'm going to be sitting down and going over that motherfucker carefully. So, so yeah, nice work. Peter <laughs> All right. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about Gogol's The Nose. This episode is brought to you by Wine.com. Dave, I think we this is our perfect sponsor. This is our ideal sponsor. I, we've peaked when it comes to, to sponsors. This, we've climaxed. I think I know. We love we love like you know charities and, and therapists and all, but like honestly. <laughs> This is, like, how happy were you when we got to do this? Wine is is a form of therapy. Um, That's right. In for, vino veritas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is a new sponsor, and I, I love it. So far, I'm, I'm a big fan. I mean, one of the things I like is, you know, when you go to a, a, a wine store, a liquor store, and you're just looking at this huge wall of, of wines, and you don't know... Uh, you don't know which one to pick or whether they'll be good and you don't know any of the reviews or ratings for it and then maybe somebody comes over to you and and talks to you but here you can just have all that right at your fingertips all the ratings all the reviews you don't even need to leave your home i actually went to college in the napa valley and went wine tasting and stuff you would think i know what i'm talking about i don't know shit so so you can like look through all of exactly like tamo said you can look through everything it is it's like the world's largest wine store so you have a ton of selection i don't think you can find a selection like that anywhere uh, physically but you get it delivered. This is the best part. You get it delivered straight to your door. So I went online. I signed up. I picked five wines, all white, by the way, because that's the kind of guy I am. Mm, <laughs> and, interesting. And, uh, Not surprising. 
a few days later, uh, free shipping if you get the the year-round membership, which is only $49. I think it's, yeah. it's totally worth it. It was just uh, at my door. There's no minimum purchase. You can order one bottle of wine. You can order 99 bottles of wine. You get expert guidance. Actually, the minute you go to wine.com, there's like a little chat bot that pops up and asks you if you want uh, to talk to anybody about wine to help you choose. But they also have a, a five-star rated wine.com app on iOS and on Android that lets you uh, scan and rate uh, wines and you can buy them right there. One thing that I like is now I have a record. So we, I got a shipment. I splurged a little on a Buena Vista Chateau, Buena Vista Pinot Noir from 2017. It was great. So we're huge fans and you can join in on the wine.com fun um, you can get drunk from wine.com wine while listening to very bad wizards. Just go to wine.com slash bad wizards. So wine.com slash bad wizards. No very. And you will get $50 off your first order. Um, 50, that's pretty good. That's, yeah. that's like practice. We didn't get much more than that. Uh, go to wine.com slash badwizards and get $50 off your first order. Some terms apply. Thank you to wine.com for supporting this episode. to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the podcast where we like to take a moment to genuinely thank everybody from the bottom of our hearts for all of the support that you give us. Uh, we love our listeners. We love hearing from you. We love talking to you when we get a chance. If you want to reach out to us, it's very easy. You could just email us verybadwizards at gmail.com. We promise we read every single email, but of course we can't answer all of them, especially like the really long, thoughtful ones. Like there's... <laughs> Like, I, I always say, well, like, it would take a long time to reply to this. So if you're one of those people who wrote the really long, thoughtful one, just know I read it. And I, you know, I'm glad we, that it's thoughtful. But We really do read all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want a shorter forum, though, you can uh, tweet uh, to us at VeryBadWizards or at Tamler or at Peas. If you want to engage in discussion with uh, some of your like-minded or not like-minded listener friends, you can go to our subreddit, um, which is usually very lively, reddit.com slash r slash VeryBadWizards. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram very at VeryBadWizards. And we 
also love it if you would rate us on the podcast, the Apple Podcasts app. Um, you can leave us a rating, uh, give us a five-star rating or a one-star rating. I'm okay. I'm finally at peace with the one-star ratings. Really? I, know, I think so. I think so. I just like that they care enough. But care enough to like... But I think it doesn't help us, you know, like a five-star. <laughs> no. <laughs> it doesn't help people, uh, you know, find no, this podcast. Usually, you might like it. I'm at peace because usually those are people who listen to one episode and one part of it. And I can't blame somebody if, like, they, they pick, like, the wrong intro. They start listening because they think they're going to get, like, some deep philosophy. And we're just talking, like, a bunch of middle schoolers about some topic. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like this episode. <laughs> like this episode. We could get some one stars, um, and we we have to remember that the best, most famous review of all time was one was star. A one star, that's right. Repugnant, <laughs> repugnant. It was a, it became a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can also uh, listen to us or subscribe to us on Spotify. Maybe that helps. I think. And we especially appreciate like a t- different tier of appreciation and gratitude, even though the last tier is very high this one's even higher for those of you who support us in more tangible ways like uh giving a one-time or recurring donation on paypal or becoming one of our patreon supporters joining the patreon very bad wizards family where right now there's a lot of action we posted a bonus episode last week where we went through the finalists for all the suggested topics for the listener selected episode we came up with the trial franz kafka's the trial as one finalist apologies as another one the novel solaris by stanislaw lem um, the structure of scientific revolutions by thomas kuhn something great just we didn't know what by ursula le guin <laughs> surprisingly that's not doing that well in the voting and uh, the death of Ivan Illich by Leo Tolstoy and it is one of our tightest ones ever right now the poll still has a few more days to go but uh, right now Franz Kafka's The Trial is winning by two votes a mere two votes uh, beating uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. They are out in the lead. A a somewhat distant third is Apologies. So, um, so yeah. I guess if if somebody becomes a a, a $5 and up supporter, they'll be able to to vote. To actually tip the scales. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, Thank you for all the people. There's a bunch of other stuff you can do. You can go and buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts at cottonbureau.com and then you can get a new mug. um, A really nice coffee mug. But um, thank you. We really appreciate it. Really honored. I was looking at the Patreon because I was um, posting the bonus episode and then uh, and just, you know, we have like over 1,700 people who are giving their hard-earned money to help us keep the lights on. And I, it's, it's, it's it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I'm so yeah. appreciative. And, you know, uh, I want to take a moment here uh, to just do a little plug for friend of the podcast, Barry Lamb, who hosts 
we've talked we've talked before about High Fi Nation, the podcast that he hosts, because it's like so well done, well produced. It's like the opposite, <laughs> the opposite in most ways of the way we do our podcast. Um, but Bear Lamb actually has a Zoom event that he wanted uh, people to know about, and I think this might be fun for a lot of our listeners. It's a live Zoom event featuring a panel of prominent philosophers. It's open to everyone. It's May twenty seventh at five thirty p.m. Eastern time, and it's on individual character and structural injustice. It's going to be hosted by Barry Lamb um, on behalf of the Mark Sounders Foundation, which I, I guess he's a part of. Um, and these philosophers include Sally Haslinger, uh, Jorge Garcia, Nancy Snow, Alex Madva, and they're going to be talking about uh, structural injustices and systemic problems in public health, race relations, gender relations, and more. We're going to put a link in show notes. Check it out if you're interested in this topic at all. Again, it's open to everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll leave a link. You can just go to that link and register for the event, and, and you'll be there. I'm going to be there. And so... And I might be there. You might be there yeah. because you're a racist and you don't really care about systemic problems. So well, yeah, I am <laughs> at the end of the semester, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Grading <laughs> <laughs> uh, hell right now. Yeah, uh, yeah I, that's, but it sounds fun. And if I don't go, I, it's not because I didn't want to. Uh, and I know some of those people. I know Sally Haslinger a little bit. She came and gave a talk. She's very cool. So, um, so, cool. so yeah. Thanks for thanks to everybody. Yeah, let's get to Yoel. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. So, Yoel, this was your idea to do this story. Um, you wanted to do a short story, and you wanted to do this short story. So um, we thought we'd give you the honors of introducing it and maybe telling us why um, you wanted to talk about it. Thanks. Thanks, Tamler. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm honored to get to be the story chooser for, for this episode. Uh, so the story that I picked is called The Nose. Um, I read this first, uh, I want to say like 10 or 15 years ago, and I've reread it a few times since then. And I just really like it because, well, as we'll talk about, it's super weird. And I feel like it really doesn't try to be anything except just bizarre. Uh, so uh, this is a story by the Russian writer Nikolai Gogol. It was written in 1835, 1836. Uh, and basically, this tells the story of a mid-level official in St. Petersburg. His name is uh, Collegiate Assessor, or that's like a civil service rank, or, or Major uh, Kovalyov, uh, who yeah. wakes up one morning to find that his nose is missing. Um, and, uh, the action of the story concerns what happened to the nose. So at first it turns up in the bread of, uh, the dude's barber, uh, and the dude, uh, the, the barber, uh, tries to ditch it, but is apprehended. And the nose then reappears in act two, walking around town and with the rank, <laughs> <laughs> with, with a higher rank than, uh, than the majors, uh, he's yeah. somehow the nose has leapfrogged him in the civil service. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, he's obviously put out by this, and he tries fruitlessly to uh, reason with the nose and tell it, you know, it knows where it, it belongs, uh, but the nose is unmoved. Uh, and then Act 3, the nose mysteriously returns and for a while won't stick to his face, but then uh, in the end, uh, just as kind of uh, inexplicably as it had left, it rejoins him and everything is back to normal. And so that's the story. 
That is the story. I love the scene where he's talking to his nose. I was laughing out loud t- today when I was reading it. <laughs> yeah. It's really like so funny because they're just, he just have, we have no idea like, like what could possibly be going on. Even, like it's very hard to even picture what's going on because it's like dressed up in this like Russian officer's garb or whatever he is. A high official, and it's talking, and it ha- maybe has legs, maybe doesn't. I like we, we have no idea. It's a it's a real mystery. Yeah, it's talking, and it appears to have like some sort of face <laughs> that's like recognizable itself. <laughs> like, is there a nose on the nose? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, it's obviously a very awkward conversation, both because it's like, "What are you doing here? You belong on my face," but then also because of the disparity in rank between the two individuals. So he's like, "Well, how do I even approach right. the nose, given that it by far outranks me?" Uh, so awkward all around. The, and the nose is also like trying to figure out what he's even saying. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> it's not like the nose. Right. Yeah, knows that that he's a nose and that he used to be on that, or at least it's not clear that he knows that he's. I like. I'm just gonna the nose knows. That, that he is, you know, like a refugee from the face, although his later attempt at escape might speak Suggests like right. otherwise. Yeah, awareness of guilt, it, for sure. But at the time, when, when you're reading the conversation, it's like the nose is like, what the, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. The, the nose acts like you, and, you or I would act if someone came up to us and told us that, <laughs> that we were their nose. The, the, the whole story is so full of miscommunications <laughs> at that, like that, at the highest level. Yeah. So why did you want to do this story? You know, uh, I've never understood what the hell it's about, and I was hoping you guys could help out with that. By the end of the episode, I'm sure we'll we will have, have cleared it up. Out. Well, so that's one reason, and the other reason is I feel like uh, these people are like so relatable. I feel like this. <laughs> I don't know, this obsession with like rank and differences and status and uh, well, also the the protagonist is very worried about the face that he's going to lose because, uh, yeah, I mean, these puns are unavoidable, but he has a lot of young ladies to visit and they're going to see him without the nose and that's going to be tough. And he, you know, he knows many people and he needs to make good impressions on them and without a nose, like he's, he's. Hopes of, you know, snagging uh, a young lady are, are basically out the window, and that's that's a big deal for him. I Go wanted ahead. to ask you guys if you knew anything, but I'm curious, like this sort of like absurd writing, you know, predates Metamorphosis by a lot, and it seems yeah. as if it has that same flavor to it. Um, I, so it's funny. I, I, I thought Metamorphosis was in some ways a useful contrast because like the metamorphosis has like internal logic and rules that it kind of plays by once it starts with its absurd premise. But this story is kind of like, there are no rules and like, or, and there's no total internal logic. No, it's like a dream. It's sort of like a dream. I couldn't help but but feel like this was just a a sort of well-plotted dream logic. Um, yeah, but not that well plotted in some ways. <laughs> it's like that's what's funny about it. it. It's it's like chaos, kind of the story. Yeah, you know, like I, the other the other the other thing I was thinking of is Ted Chang. You know, who also sets up a premise, um, but then he is pretty scrupulous about like following the rules of that premise and having human beings just kind of act like they would. 
if like they lived in a world that's set up that's right. set up like he did, you know, we talked about that. Yeah. For hell is uh, right, like the absence of God. Yeah. Um, but like, and I think Kafka is sort of a little bit in between because there are certain aspects that he definitely heightens in his stories, um, or at least in the Metamorphosis. But in fact, it's now you might be right. Like, but it feels like there is an internal logic to the Metamorphosis that there isn't to this. Right. The, I mean, the absurdity carries through the metamorphosis, so it feels still absurd at every moment. I mean, I think you're right that there is some logic to it. It still has the tone of absurdity. But um, something something else you guys point out, which is that this, you know, Kafka feels emo compared to this. Like, you know, yeah. Kafka is like the <laughs> right. suffering of the human soul, and Gogol's like, eh, I don't know, there's his nose. It's pretty funny, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This felt to me a little like internet shit posting where it was just like, I don't know. The point is it's hilarious, you know? And like don't worry too much about it making sense. It's like a it's like a 4chan green text like written out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's great. And as long as you like it it's also kind of like the, the magic eye pictures where you have to sort of like let yourself unfocus in order for the dolphin to pop out of the thing or whatever. <laughs> right? Like if you just sort of relax and accept it, you're like, oh yeah, totally. Noses noses in church. Nose jumped into a carriage. And then <laughs> when you start thinking about some of the you know, details of like, wait, how big is it? Because it was not like a person a minute ago. Then it just all breaks right. down, right? Right. So, yeah, we should go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, let's, should we let's, actually do plot? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with the, you know, part one. All right. So, so it yeah. starts out with Ivan, who's the, a barb, the barber who, as you all said, finds, finds a nose in, in a sort of freshly baked loaf of bread that his wife gives him. Like... I like that it all automatically starts out with it. You know, I want to ask our Russian listeners, actually, this to me, there is this sort of uh, neuroticism of Russian literature that is it's just like so palpable, this neuroticism. And even though I'm not like this, for some reason, I find it utterly relatable that, uh, you know, he's already introducing these these squabbles that he's having with his wife when he gets up in the morning yeah. and he's like, I want bread and onion. And she's like, well, f- fine, fuck it. Eat the bread. I'll at least have my extra cup of coffee, you know? And it's right. already- Because this- he can't <laughs> have bread and coffee. <laughs> right. Because he knows yeah. that if he asks for two things, she might get pissed. <laughs> right. Um, so there's this just domestic tension and neuroticism just already present. And it's that, that kind of neuroticism is in Dostoevsky, like it's in Tolstoy. Yeah. Is this just a quality of the Russian people? Like I- my stereotype of Russians now isn't like this, but it's... I, I don't think it's quite like this in Tolstoy. I think you can get this at the extremes of Dostoevsky, but, like, just the idea that, like, it's quite impossible to demand two things at at once from his wife is, like... You don't even need the extremes of Dostoevsky. is super neurotic, and it's not absurd, but, it, like, their, their inner thoughts about, like, you know, being bothered by little things is just crazy. <laughs> Let let the fool eat the bread. All the better for me, the wife thought to herself. There will be an extra cup of coffee left. She, right. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then he finds the nose in the bread and he immediately recognizes it. Right. Uh, this guy, As, this guy had a very prominent yeah. nose, apparently, like because he's yeah he's shaved this guy, so he immediately recognizes it. That his clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, like yeah, you don't know, you don't have the lived experience of being a barber, <laughs> so like it could be that you just would recognize anybody's nose if you like shaved them it, twice a week. That's very true. That's right. right. So his wife now sort of flips her shit. 
um, and he <laughs> right. starts yelling at him, and he starts thinking about the legal consequences of the nose being in his possession, which it's not entirely clear why <laughs> that, that gets you in trouble, but evidently it's a real problem that he has the nose um, on him. It's also funny that that's her reaction. Right, right, right. right. The cops, like, like, it's like, it's like he brought a kilo of cocaine home and like a, you know, in like a Coen Brothers movie. Like, they're like, oh shit, we found the cocaine. But even if he did that, why would he put it in the bread and how would he put it in the bread? This is what I was thinking. It's clearly, if it was in the bread when he opened it, it sh- it's her fault. Right. She made the bread. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she calls him a blockhead. It's like a Charlie Brown <laughs> Piece of film. I mean, it's obviously not in the original, but I like whatever the trans. Away with it, away, and, and keep it anywhere you like, out of my sight with it. So right, yeah. right, um, and and he's like, shit, was I drunk? Because the author describes him as just like any good Russian, he's a drunkard, um, and he's like, was I drunk? And my thought was what in being drunk would have led to this? Like, why is that? <laughs> like, I get that it would erase your memory maybe, but like what in being drunk could have possibly led? The wife seems to have some theory that he jerks noses around too much when he shaves them. So maybe like right. he snuck it in, you know? Yeah, she is not being a supportive spouse <laughs> <laughs> when this happens. And he doesn't seem to expect her to be one either. Mm, no. He's like, oh shit, I have to get rid of this. Right. Like, what am I going to do? Like, and just kind of tunes her out. Right. Right. And he like puts it, you know, wraps it up, wraps it up, goes out on the street. And this next part really is dreamlike where he's wandering around. He's trying to find a good yeah. spot to ditch the nose. But then he keeps running into people coming up to him being like, why are you out at this hour? Who are you going to go shave? What's going on? Right. So he can never yeah. find uh, a place to leave it. And as uh, the morning is going on, things are getting busier. The shops are opening. And then finally, he manages to uh, chuck it over the side of a bridge into the river and he thinks he's home free. But at that point, uh, there's a policeman who's observed him doing something <laughs> shady. All of his fears have come true. Exactly. The policeman totally, just that feeling that he's like, no, I know the, the cops are totally going to be like, we're, you know, get me, nab me for this nose. It's totally, totally comes true. Cause the cop just does. He's like, why were you leaning over the bridge? No, yeah. I don't believe you that you were just looking at the river. Like what? we need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> the cops interrogating him. <laughs> Ivan Yakolovich turns pale, but here the whole episode becomes shrouded in mist, and of what happened subsequently, absolutely nothing is known. <laughs> right. It kind of it becomes not about him anymore. Right. In fact, the bulk of the story is not about Ivan. It's sort of a weird way to open the story. Like it's you know, yeah. the rest is about collegiate assessor. Which by the way, I didn't look up what does a collegiate assessor do? Did either of you look up what? Yeah, I did. Uh, so it's a, a Russian civil service rank. Um, so they work for the government in some like bureaucratic capacity. But there are two kinds, it seems like. There is one that is there because of their scholarly merits and another that is uh, that is a collegiate because of they belong to the Caucasus ca- ca- variety of collegiate assessors. And it seems like that's the the one that you sort of luck into. That's the sinecure. Oh, that's uh, so. That's not how I interpreted that, and I, I could be wrong. But the way that I read about that is uh, that was the military route. So if you go serve in the armed forces and you get promoted uh, to major, that's the equivalent rank in the in the military, and then you can sort of retire from the military and take some paper pushing job uh, in the kind of uh, government bureaucracy. I see. And, and you know, I guess it's important context, context uh, that, that this was a, at a time where there was this, 
uh, table of ranks that had been introduced by Peter the Great that essentially allowed commoners to rise in this sort of like in the Russian bureaucracy, which just apparently inflated bureaucratic positions all throughout Russia. And this is, you know, I guess some people take Gogol as being using this as a criticism of the bureaucracy, but I choose to to believe that this is not about anything. <laughs> well, a- except maybe a criticism of bureaucracy in general yeah. and not just yeah. uh, Soviet bureaucracy. <laughs> right. So this part in part, so part two, the collegiate assessor, Kovalyov uh, wakes up and realizes that he has no nose. And this is the part that re- you know reminds me a little bit of Kafka. I would be surprised if Kafka wasn't influenced by this. Right? Yeah. Like the absurdity of waking up and something completely uh, weird is going on with you. And there's not, it's not like there's an injury. It's just completely smooth skin where his nose used to be. And he's freaking out. <laughs> and, and, and he's freaking out and, and also like just kind of denying it at the same time as just trying to figure out what to do about it. It's a very, like, yeah, very much like the beginning of the metamorphosis. Right. It's like, wait, what's going on? Right, so naturally, he has to go out and track down his nose, right? As one, <laughs> as anybody would do in this situation. A mystery is afoot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we get some asides describing the guy, which are which are great, which are very funny. I also love this little aside about Russia is such a wondrous land that if you say something about one collegiate assessor, all the collegiate assessors from Riga to Kamchatka will not fail to take it as applying to them too, which is, uh, yeah, relatable. Um, so, <laughs> and, which he says after making the distinction between the two kinds of collegiate that's right, assessors, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so he goes out, uh, he's unable to find a cab and then he's sort of wandering around uh, looking for his nose, I guess just sort of randomly. Like he doesn't really have a plan at that point, right? Uh, no, he doesn't. He's he's just – it seems – Why would he think that he could find his nose? <laughs> like is that – Somewhere in St. Petersburg. Yeah, like if you woke up without a nose, I would just think it had, you know, been destroyed or something. Like, you know, it, it just ceased to exist. Not that it was somewhere, that it was lost, you know, that you must – Did you guys – um, at what point, you know, uh, Gogol is giving us a descript, like little bits of description of this guy, um, the major, uh, as he's telling us the events of this story. And it's for me, it was kind of building into understanding that he was kind of a, an asshole, but it wasn't yeah. like obvious at first. It was like little bits here and there that he's like obsessed with his rank and he thinks of himself as more important probably than he actually is. And as kind of a ladies' man, but who doesn't want to commit any like money to any of the women. And, right. In fact, yeah. he will only get married if if they can commit yeah. at least two hundred thousand rubles or whatever. <laughs> but then he he sees his nose. Now, the last we saw the nose, it was just a, an actual nose, <laughs> like that had been thrown into a river. But now it's a. It's it's a state counselor. It's the this uh, again is like it just cracked me up. He and he says an inexplicable. Suddenly he stopped dead by the doors of a house. An inexplicable phenomenon occurred before his eyes. A coach stopped in front of the entryway. The coach doors opened. A gentleman in a uniform jumped out. His back bent and started running up the stairs. What horror and at the same time amazement did Kovalyov feel when he realized that this was his very own nose. <laughs> <laughs> This is where the, the the absurdity like takes to another level right. that I think like you know it's like it starts with its premise, 
which is a funny premise, but then it just like kicks it up another notch with this, right? Like another level of absurdity. Like it was one thing with just a nose would suddenly appear in somebody else's bread. It's another thing where now the nose is running around St. Petersburg it, with a high rank. In a uniform with gold embroidery with a large stand-up collar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then he just, he can talk too. He just, he looks right and left, shouts to his driver. So he has a driver now. Bring the carriage round. And this is like the same day that he's lost his nose, right? Yeah. Yep. Right. It's just the same day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. So the nose is and risen far in the world in those like 12 hours since he's seen it last. Has outranked him now. <laughs> yeah. Right. By so, substantially. Yeah. It, the funny thing is Google like inserts these things like he says, by the way, I'm using a different translation than the one you guys sent me. Um, uh, he says, indeed, how could it be that a nose that just yesterday was on his face and could neither ride nor walk was in a uniform? Which is just like reminding the reader that like also this is absurd for the character. But it's absurd in a way that he still just continues to act as if it's like he has to track <laughs> Track down the mate, the the nose in the uniform. But we also like like if you try to picture the nose, can you picture the nose? No, not really. No, and he's no because how does a uniform fit on a nose? Right. And like what does you know how like what is he talking <laughs> through? I don't. This is what I mean. It's like it doesn't totally make sense. Uh, like and then he goes to church so the nose can sit down and look pious. Wait, so yeah, that's right. So it says I have this part highlighted. The nose had completely hidden his face in a big stand-up collar and was praying with an expression of the greatest piety. So, like, the nose has a face? How, like, is it noses all the way down? Like, is there a, is there a nose on the nose? Unclear. Yeah. <laughs> How am I to approach him, thought Kovalyov. From everything, from his uniform, from his hat, one can see that he is a state counselor. I'll be damned if I know how to do it. <laughs> right, so the, 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 the obstacle is that he's of this high rank. Yeah, he, right, he, can't, right. he, can't just go, he can't just go up to him. He's a state counselor. <laughs> but then he forces himself to do it. And, and, and it's very, this is a very funny scene because he talks to him like the nose is, is aware right. of what's happened. Like, uh, and then the nose is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, as as you would if you were trying to hide, you know, from you. Right. Yep. <laughs> and then he and then he thinks, how shall I explain to him? However, I am a major. For me to go about without my nose, you'll admit it's unbecoming. Uh, it's all right for a peddler woman who sells peeled oranges on Vronsky Bridge to sit without a nose. But since I'm expecting, and besides having many acquaintances among the ladies, Miss Chukchatoryova, state counselor's wife, and others, judge for yourself. Like, he's like, you have to understand the position I'm in, <laughs> from, right? From like, one bureaucrat to another, you know. <laughs> I can't walk around without a nose. And, and the nose is just like, I, I, I understand absolutely nothing. Today's episode is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, convenient. So anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. This isn't self-help. It is professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. 
BetterHelp is available worldwide, so our international listeners can check this out too. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping. That's a problem for me. Anger, family conflicts, grief, loneliness. Anything you share is confidential. These are professionals. Check out the testimonials. BetterHelp can help people lead a happier and healthier life, and we only get one of these lives, so please check it out if you're struggling. And as a VBW listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com VBW. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash VBW, available for our listeners worldwide. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so at this point when I'm reading the story, you know, my brain is trying to impose order on this. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, like this guy's psychotic and he just felt like he's so obsessed that his nose is gone that he's just accusing some random dude of being his nose right so i'm like thinking you know he's he's uh just lost it so much that he found uh you know some some bureaucrat in a coach and and somehow has imposed this nose appearance on him but no it actually was his nose it was well that's the thing is like i don't that never occurred to me there's something (laughs) about the way this is written that that never entered my mind (laughs) That that he was just hallucinating and going around. I mean, it, well, like, I just took it at face value that that's his. Name. I mean, it's a silly thing. Like, if I can accept that a nose was gone and it appeared in a loaf of bread, like you would think my brain could accept that it's also walking around. But it is, as you say, popped into a different level of absurdity, and I'm still trying to stay at level one, right? <laughs> when you've gotten used to the like the weird <laughs> premise of part one, all of a sudden the rules change completely. Yeah, it's like SpongeBob surfing at the beach. Right. You know? No, no, no. Right. No, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, the nose at one point knits its brows. Like, how the shit does that work? (laughs) Yeah. Did you think think that that he was maybe, like, delusional? I I didn't come up with that in it. Like, it's a plausible interpretation if we're going to say, like, we're going to try and make this story make some sort of sense. Right. But like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's funny that it never occurred to me even for one <laughs> second. I read the story twice. Like, it yeah. never, and I'm very like fond of thinking things are hallucinations or dreams or something. Right. Um, uh, so, but, but, but just to end the scene, uh, afterwards, he's like, ah, God, I don't even know how to like, the whole th- thing seems to me quite obvious. Um, after all, you are my own nose. And then the no- this is where the nose knits his brows and then says, you are mistaken, my dear sir. I exist in my own, in my own right, which is uh, metaphysically controversial. Uh, besides, there can be no close relation between us. Judging by the buttons on your uniform, you must be employed in the Senate or at least in the Ministry of Justice. As for me, I'm in the scholarly line. So he kind of separates himself from... <laughs> From Kovler, right. Kovler. You're oh, you're yeah. an adjunct professor, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, this this is where like once my brain accepted this was really his nose. I started to think, is the nose being an ass like because it actually knows and is trying to get away with it, or <laughs> right. has the nose just been spawned into sentience and actually has no idea of its origins? Spawned into sentience and professional success. <laughs> 
like, like, I don't know. Well, I actually you know, don't know. That's interesting that you say that because spawned into professional success. Like this is a very, you know, it, it does seem like that, that is a criticism of the, the rank system. If you could be, have been born yesterday and achieved this rank, then it, it's not really anything to do with your merit, you know. He's, and be a nose. <laughs> be a nose <laughs> with a with a knitted brow. <laughs> what do you think, yo? Uh yeah, this uh this rank thing, somehow I find this so relatable like as an academic. Like I imagine this is like your nose disappears and then it's like, you know, claims it's a dean and it doesn't know you. And anyway, I'm in a different faculty. You know, it's like I I, I think that like that's something that that I feel like maybe this is what makes me appreciate this story so much. This like uh, taking these made up distinctions and ranks incredibly seriously. But do you think that the nose is aware that he's his nose or is the nose just all of a sudden like popped into existence as this state? I think that the nose knows exactly where he's coming from and is just giving him the run around. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. What's funny is that, like at this point, I already think of the major Kovalyov as as being kind of a dick, and I'm not really rooting for him. You know, his his major concerns are like, you know, like not being able to flirt with the ladies as much and stuff. And yet, and yet, I feel immense sympathy for the way he's being like treated by the nose. It's, it's weirdly insulting for your own nose to tell you like i don't know who you are leave me alone like who are you <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck are you <laughs> i don't know you bye <laughs> totally uh, so then he goes wait ha- has he gone to the uh to the papers yet no that's no no next. he tries to rush to the police chief i think first after that oh right yeah, yeah. it was unavailable um, right. right again sort of like a you know can't be bothered, you know, like a, yeah. yet another bureaucratic position. He thinks he can, you know, here's the thing. He thinks that he can get his nose back with favors yeah. or something, you know. Or just you by you utilizing the system. In yeah, some way. yeah, his connections. You got to call yeah, your connections yeah. if he can get your nose back. <laughs> and so then he comes up with the idea of placing an ad in the newspaper such that if somebody encounters <laughs> the nose, they can let him know. Use his regular name. He refuses for his real name to be posted because of the shame that it would bring if people knew that he had no nose. The the, the waiting room for all the for like all the people who are like putting um, classified ads in like is very funny too. You know, like yeah. you can totally picture just all these people who are like trying to get back their their poodles or whatever. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. So in the end, the uh, the clerk won't take the ad. Um, and he says that it's uh, too risky for the paper um, and that uh, just recently there was another such case. A civil servant came in just as you have bringing a note was billed two rubles, 73 kopecks. And all the advertisement consisted of was that a black coated poodle had run away. Doesn't seem to amount to much, does it now? But it turned out to be a libel. This so-called poodle was a treasurer of I don't recall what organization. <laughs> so they've been recently burned by the poodle fiasco and they just won't touch the yeah. news ad at all. And what's what's interesting is that I'm thinking to myself like all right surely the 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 newspaper person sees that his nose is missing but apparently he's been hiding his face the whole time so that so that nobody can tell that his nose is missing. And so he finally just show like shows him no no really my nose is missing and um, and then he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, but still no. <laughs> still, 
still, but not because he's being a dick, but because it's like, I just don't see how putting an ad will help you, which you probably couldn't, right? Like, it seems exactly like not a good solution to the current (laughs) problem that is. And he says, like, if your nose is really missing, that's probably a case for a physician, you know, like not a newspaper. Yeah. But he does do kind of uh, something not cool. He he offers him snuff, uh, uh, which is uh, just a slap in the face. You can't. Yeah. He doesn't have a nose. But he doesn't put it. I don't think he does it on uh, on purpose. It's no, just no, like it, kind it of seems out of like politeness. he's oblivious. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so then he goes to see the the district police superintendent, which I guess is is a rank above the police chief. Um, and here we're we're just finally told what we know what we've probably known um, for quite some time that Kovalyov is a person who is extremely quick to take offense. <laughs> yeah, he c- he could forgive whatever was said about himself, but never anything that referred to rank or title. He was <laughs> even of the opinion that in plays one could allow references to junior officers, but that there should be no criticism of field officers. So it's like cancel culture, kind exactly. of. Exactly. He's, he's a snowflake about, about rank. So his, um, his encounter with the uh, police superintendent uh, doesn't go well. And he returns home dejected uh, to find his valet, Ivan, spitting at the ceiling and rather successfully hitting one in the same spot, which is a great <laughs> mental image. That's so disgusting. And just uh, the idea that like he could do that and that that would just be kind of normal. He it would just be like a cause for irritation. <laughs> yeah, and and really it's that he's indifferent to to the plight that he's experiencing right now. Like how could he just be idling sitting by when when his master or whatever has 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 a missing nose? Does he um, know that he's missing a nose? Yeah, that, because that, I think that even though it wasn't explicitly stated, and it's a little confusing because Ivan is the name of his servant, but also the name of the barber at the beginning, right? Um, I, I think that this is the same servant who, you know, he called for a mirror when he was in bed. So so the servant must know. Right? You know and here's where he says, like, it would be one thing if I lost my nose, like, in a duel or something. Right. <laughs> but, like, it just disappeared for nothing. Um, and he's right. That is frustrating. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I think that this gets at that too, where there's just certain like bad things that happen to you for no reason. Like, it's like if there was some poetic justice to it, or at least if I had, you know, like I tear my Achilles, but I was playing like really like, uh, like I was playing racquetball when I was too old to play at the intensity. Like, okay, that's going to happen. But like, this is just totally for no reason. No reason. And so he's, so he's sitting there clearly, you know, like I get the sense that sort of this, like this anger and annoyance is building. And finally he finds someone to blame, (laughs) which, uh, which he thinks, okay. Like, first of all, it's interesting that he never, not yet. Cause I think in between that he gets his nose back. Right. No, 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 no. I, I mean, so. he gets the actual nose, not it attached to its face. His oh, face. oh, yeah. yeah the right. um, is is that when the bar the barber comes in? The, that's the right. cop. No, not the barber. It's the cop. The rest of the barber. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And cop. drops by yeah. with his yeah. nose. Yeah, yeah. What does he say, y'all? Uh, so by an odd piece of luck, a he meaning the nose was intercepted on the point of leaving <laughs> town. He was about to board a stagecoach and leave. For Riga, he even had a passport made out a long time ago in the name of a certain civil servant. So this bolsters my theory that the nose the whole time the nose. 
like knew what was <laughs> it up, always knows. right yeah it always knows and uh the, the cop uh says the weirdest thing he's like says that he was nearsighted when you stand in front of me all I can see is you have a face, but I can't see your nose or your beard or anything. And then he says, my mother-in-law also can't see. <laughs> it's yeah. a weird thing to add. Yeah. He's like, like that- I took him at first for a gentleman, but then then I realized I, when I put my glasses on that it was a nose. And, and it's also now just shrunk to a normal-sized nose. Right, We're right. made to understand. Right. But we have no idea how or why. It's just like if you found your like an actual nose now, not somebody. Uh, that Because he has it with him. Yeah. Right. So he's so. he's briefly overjoyed, obviously. Um, and <laughs> then there's this, I, I love this uh, paragraph, but there's nothing enduring in this world. And that is why even joy is not as keen in the moment that follows the first. And a moment later, it grows weaker still and finally merges imperceptibly into one's usual state of mind. Just as a ring on the water made by the fall of a pebble merges finally into the smooth surface. <laughs> and he starts to think about how am I going to get this nose stuck back on my face and realizes that that is an unsolved problem. Yeah, <laughs> and and presumably unsolvable. <laughs> presumably, like, what is he supposed to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what what a great quote that is, though. I, I had that. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Um, he's just he continues to put his nose like he's putting his nose on the skin, that smooth patch of skin, but it's not staying. And he's like, "Come on!" <laughs> just like I don't know what he wants it to do. Like, he like he breathes on it, like hoping that that <laughs> yeah, will make it, like like, like a suction sticky. cup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's then he a, goes to a doctor, another great scene. Right, right. And so the doctor, who lives in his building, um, arrives immediately and starts grabbing him by the chin. And he flicks with his thumb the spot where the nose is supposed to go and knocks his head back. You know, the doctor's just roughhousing his head. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, it's better that, it, you know, what, if you try to stick it on your face, it's going to be worse. Trust yeah. me. Just, just leave your face without a nose on it, it's funny like i don't know what he means by that that it would be like i guess like doing surgery on your face would be worse than just not having a nose right like but, but rot, he just he like won't specify why no he won't. right he, he'll just say trust me it'll be you worse. don't want to do that i assure you and then you yeah. start to suspect that the doctor might have an ulterior motive yeah. because he advises him <laughs> right. to put the nose in a jar with alcohol or better still pour into the jar two tablespoons of aqua fortis and warmed up vinegar and then you can get good money for it i'll buy it myself if you don't ask too much right exactly <laughs> <laughs> and you know and and the major is just you know like like so frustrated he's like i can't no i can't you don't understand i cannot live without a nose and this is where like he's you know his his emotions of blame are starting to rise again because he's now convinced that it's this, uh, this, uh, was it officer's wife who, who, yeah, with the daughter, yeah, state counselor's wife, yeah, yeah, who, who has a daughter who she really wants the major to marry. And, uh, he thinks that because, because he's, he admits he's kind of been a dick and like leading her on. So yeah. he, he's convinced that this is her revenge and, and he's getting really, really <laughs> upset. And so he, he resolves himself to write a letter. <laughs> this letter is a, a work of comic genius. <laughs> uh, so, uh, should I just read, read it? Yeah. yeah. Dear Madam Alexandra, and, and think of receiving this letter not I, knowing I, anything about like what's going on dear madam alexandra grigorievna which i bet is a funny name in, in <laughs> russian but we won't know it. i fail to understand your strange behavior be assured that acting in this way you gain nothing and certainly will not force me to marry your daughter 
believe me that the incident with my nose is fully known to me, just as is the fact that you and no one else are the principal person involved. In sudden detachment from its place, its flight, and its disguise, first as a certain civil servant, then at last in its own shape, is nothing other than the result of a spell cast by you and those who engage like you in such noble pursuits. I, for my part, deem it my duty to forewarn you that if the above-mentioned nose is not back in its place this very day, I shall be forced to resort to the defense and protection of the law. Whereupon I, re- I have the honor to remain, with my full respect, your obedient ser- servant, Platon uh, Kavalyev. Yeah, it's so funny because it's the the formality of it, but just the assumption, the the certainty that like he's talking to somebody who like knows what he's referring to and is responsible for it is very funny. Right, like er- like at some point in the story, we learn that he has has had to be in charge of investigations before, yeah. and so it seems like he has some confidence in, which is just even more absurd than his just deciding to walk around and look for his nose. He's just leaping, he's just leaping to conclusions here, in, <laughs> it, with such confidence sending this note, which really, like, I I want to send this to somebody one day. Just believe <laughs> me that me the off. incident. With my nose is fully known to me. It's just like, like imagine getting that and you have no idea <laughs> what he's done. Right. And I love, so like he, he Google just immediately prints her response, yeah. you know, so presumably some time has passed. Um, I'll, I'll read her, her reply, which again is a different translation. It says, my dear sir, Platon Kuzmich, your letter amazed me exceedingly. I must frankly admit that I did not at all expect it, especially with regard to the unjust reproaches on your part. I advise you that I never received in my home the civil servants you mentioned, <laughs> uh, either in disguise or in his true form. It's true Philip Ivanovich Potanchikov has visited me, And although indeed he has sought the hand of my daughter, being himself of good, sober conduct and great erudition, I never gave him any hopes. You also mention a nose. If you mean by this that I wish to lead you around by the nose, that is to give you a formal refusal, I am amazed that you yourself are saying that, when I, as you well know, was of the exact opposite opinion. And if you are now asking in a legitimate fashion for my daughter's hand in marriage, I am prepared this very minute to give you satisfaction, for this has always been the object of my most keen desire in hopes of which I will remain always at your service, Alexandra Potocina. So, like, despite that weird letter, she's like, oh, but... So this is, I think, like, one of, like a great example of how people will take something that's insane and try to, like put it into categories that they can understand. They will try to make sense of it in a way, even though it doesn't make sense, they will try to interpret it in the lens that makes sense. Yeah, that's like what my brain was doing. Like she's doing what what I was trying to do, trying to like play some sense on it. She's giving the most charitable possible interpretation of his accusation. Well, charitable for her in a lot of ways because she wants to, but like just trying to like make it coherent. Uh, like right. the fact that she just assumes he's referring to Philippe Ivanovich Potonchikov is like her way of like, okay, like none of what he says makes sense. So here is how I, I think I can fit it into like my conceptual scheme in a way that actually works out pretty well. Right. And she's really trying to reinterpret the nose thing to be somehow metaphorical and, and right. fit it into that. And yeah, like Tamler said, she like kind of came up with an interpretation that doesn't seem crazy. And then she finishes with, oh, and if you'd still like to marry my daughter, you know, uh, that's on. Super into it. <laughs> yeah, super yeah. into it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. And, yeah. 
yeah, it's interesting the way that you guys just said it, it makes me think, you know, like she, she wants a metaphorical interpretation of the nose. And, uh, and that's just not true in, in a way that the reader might want a metaphorical interpretation right. of the nose. And Gogol seems to really go out of his way to say, no, no, I'm really talking about a nose. It's an <laughs> like, actual nose. There might be this other criticisms that like embedded in this story, but this story really is literally a nose. a nose running around. <laughs> it's funny to compare the two translations because they're quite close except for uh, the metaphorical expression, which is in uh, ours, um, if you mean that I wanted to put your nose out of joint, which I feel like fits a little uh, bit better with the second half of the right. sentence. But now I really want to know if you guys have Russian listeners, what it reads in the original, right? Because it's obviously- Wait, some- what is yours, Dave? Because I was sort of reading um, along with mine when you- Right, it is, uh, if you mean by this that I wish to lead you around by the nose, that is to give you a formal refusal. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is very different. Yeah. Yeah. There must be some Russian saying that they're you know, they're trying to like give us some some feel for it. Yeah. That um, we don't have. Probably yeah, that's right. my guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and I feel also like she snitched on herself with the like admitting about this other guy. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> She's well, like, that's, oh, that's, that's how she figured it out. Like she was like, okay, he found out about this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you in part by NordVPN. So a few years ago, I lived in Canada for a year. I was in Toronto. I was with my little daughter. One of the biggest banes of my existence was, you know, we watched a lot of Netflix, but all of the content and Hulu even, and all of the content that we used to watch was different in the services when I was in Canada. Of course, VPNs were available back then. But either they were fly-by-night operations and I didn't trust them, or even when they were reputable uh, VPN providers, it was slow. Like, there was a lot of throttling. It was hard. Some things were just unwatchable. NordVPN solves those problems now. They've made great leaps and bounds. You don't have to miss your favorite content even when you're traveling abroad. You can access your content everywhere. You can change your virtual location with a single click. So I install the app on my Mac, on my iPad, on my iPhone, and literally with one click, I can uh, select whatever country I want to appear that I'm from. You can even find streaming platforms at a lower price using this method. Um, you can choose from 5,500 servers across 59 countries. You'll avoid buffering. Again, with a crappier VPN services, uh, you might start getting slowed down. But there's amazing speed thanks to a technology that they call NordLinks, which is just essentially a tunneling technology that's much lighter weight and much more efficient. So you don't get any more bandwidth throttling. You have secure streaming. In fact, you have secure streaming. You have secure web browsing. The internet service provider has no idea what you're doing, If they, even if they wanted to try to break that encryption. For the nerds out there, it's AES-256. Uh, it would be impossible for them uh, to break it. So if you're like me and you like to get all of your content throughout the uh universe of streaming services. Maybe you even want content from other countries that you can't get where you're currently living. Check out NordVPN. As a listener, you can go to nordvpn.com VBW or use coupon VBW and you'll get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. That's nordvpn.com VBW. Our thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. I, I think this is like a, a a hallmark of absurdist literature, you know, plays, whatever, is that 
people will take an absurd premise and they will fit it within their like their understanding of how the world actually works. Like I'm thinking like Ionesco's rhinoceros, all of a sudden people are turning into rhinoceros, uh, rhinoceri, rhinoceroses, and people just try to like, at first they're a little amazed by it and scandalized, but then they just kind of figure out how it fits with their normal understanding of the world. And this whole story is kind of like, it's, 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 it's you know, I think this is an example of that, but in a lot of ways it's like, people don't even take the step of noticing that something is as off as they sometimes do. It's like, it's a little off, but it's not, nobody is just, you know, like call Carl Sagan. Like this whole right. thing is, or, or just even just like, wait, hold on, what? How is the nose now a person? And how did it get, like nobody even asks those kinds of questions, except in a way that you would be like, well, how did my, you know, my glass break? Uh, right. I put vodka into it, like not, not um, in a way that like really sort of reflects the absolute impossibility of what's happening. Right, and and it seems to be to me that that is sort of required for the sense of absurdity, where this you take this premise and you have everybody around reacting as if this is like something that could really happen, even though it's super weird. Because if you had a story where everyone was like what the fuck, your nose was a person? Like then it completely, you lose that sense of absurdity, right? right? Now it becomes sort of just like a some some other kind of fiction. And if you have a world where just a lot of weird shit happens, you're, you're like now into like, ma you know, magical realism or something. And it, it's a different genre. Like, so you, people around you acting that normal way when something so crazy happens is, a, is the maddening part of this. Like, it's just, you know, like the newspaper man's like refusing, not because it's so weird that you would have lost your nose and that it's walking around, but because eh, the newspaper really can't can't take that hit on it. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's where I think there's a difference between this and metamorphosis where people do kind of, it's not that they react fully as you would react if your son or, or brother had turned it, but they're, they at least seem to take in the magnitude of what's happened. In a way. But do they? They're like just like, oh shit, we need to hide him, you know, because like he's turned into this. They're not like freaking out. They're, I mean, they're just he's like, freaking uh, out. it's like a burden. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'd have to go back. I kind of remember them being like horrified and, you know, like they're, they're, they they get scared. They, they're these big scenes where he comes out for a second and they run like screaming and. Uh, and the sister has to calm down the parents, and it's like, there's nothing like that here. Even though there's been a nose that's been going around St. Petersburg, like, there's nothing, nobody even... Well, there is, I mean, there is a little bit like that. So there is, at first, his wife is like, what the fuck, a nose? Like, you're such an idiot, right? Like, which is not, it's not reacting to the full absurdity of it, but it is reacting to, like, very strongly. And then later on, we get... Um, in fact, right around now in the story, it's like the rumors start spreading that the nose is walking around and everybody wants to see it. Right. It does attract public interest, but not the kind of right. like shock and horror that you might imagine. I mean, also when people react to him, you imagine if like somebody literally didn't have a nose and they just had this perfectly smooth flat surface in the middle of their face, they would look horribly disfigured. And instead people are like, huh, looks interesting. Yeah. Or right. like, it's like almost the clerk, physical. The, the yeah, newspaper. the clerk. Right. It's like, yeah, okay. Right. Right, right, or huh? the like kind of almost physical comedy of the doctor flicking him in the you know flat <laughs> part of his face. Yeah. Right? 
it's like a, it's like it might be a rare occurrence, but not an like not not so crazy. They're, it's not you distressing know, it's like, oh, okay. for anybody, but for him, and he's just yeah. distressed because it's going to impede his ability to hit on women. It's vanity, right? He's distressed because of yeah. vanity, not because of the weirdness of this. Right, and, and when it does stuff. become noted, it's like gossip. It's like right. kind of fun right. gossip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so should we talk about that part, or should we skip ahead to section three, where things get like sort of breaking the fourth wall? Well, let's before we do that, we should say that he gets his nose back, or or is that in? That's in section in section three. That's, okay, that's, that's in the beginning section of section three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the end so of section two there. is just it becomes public spectacle, people fa- paying for tickets and so on. And then section three, just one day, um, it, section three begins utterly nonsensical things happen in this world. And uh, what happens at the beginning of section three is that his nose just one day reappears on his face as if it had never left. It's not that it stuck. It's not that he tried to stick it nope. on and one day it finally like healed. No. It's- nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Um, so he's, you know, obviously thrilled with this. Uh, he, it describes a little bit his, you know, testing of whether the nose is really actually, uh, reattached to his face. And it seems like it is. Uh, and then, uh, there's this paragraph that's like very, all of a sudden, like you guys were saying, the characters in the story never acknowledge how weird this shit is, but now the narrator is going to tell us how weird this shit is. Um, only now on second thoughts, can we see that there is much that is improbable in it? Uh, that is the story without (laughs) speaking of the fact that the supernatural detachment of the nose and its appearance in various places in the guise of a state counselor is indeed strange. Never mind that. Never mind that. Put that aside. (laughs) How is it that Kovalyov did not realize that one does not advertise for one's nose (laughs) through the newspaper office? It's brilliant. I do not mean to say that advertising rates appear to be too high. That's nonsense. I am not all one of those mercenary people. But it's improper, embarrassing, not nice. It's uh, just great. Yeah, and then gets even more fourth wall breaking. Like he, he goes, but the strangest, the most incomprehensible thing of all is how authors can choose such subjects. I confess it's quite inconceivable. He's, no, I just cannot understand that at all. And in the first place, there's absolutely no benefit for the father man and the fatherland in the second place. But in the second place, there is no benefit either. I simply don't know what to make of it. And then, yeah, there's a final paragraph, I think, supports my ghost theory, but we can get back to that. that. Um, So it's cheeky and like it's 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 something that like is meta in a way that I like, but it's all it's it borders on too clever as a way to end the story. Um, and I, I forgive it for being written in 1836 because, you know, I don't think anything. I think this is still br- a brilliant story. Um, but but I don't know. What do you think of ending just so blatantly on like, isn't it weird that I wrote this? <laughs> I think it's in the spirit of the story because in terms of the details that he chooses to state that are incongruous and the way he's describing it, like it's only now on second, like upon reflection, that we can see that there is much improbable in it, and then all the batch of all the batshit crazy things that he chooses, he he chooses that one does not advertise for one's nose through the newspaper office. You yeah. know, like no, it's like that. That's the that's not the like if you had to choose like a hundred things that don't make sense about this story, that would be pretty low on the list. You know, yeah, and that's an awesome way to sort of start breaking the fourth wall. It's I was more referring to the part where he's like, the unfathomable part is that a writer could choose to write this. Wink, wink. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, y'all? Yeah. I, I mean, I like that the this thing that immediately follows that uh, is just kind of incoherent and stumbles around a bit. I mean, you just read it, but it, you know, first there's no benefit to the fatherland. And secondly, there's no benefit at all. I just don't know what to make of it. You know, and I do, I think that's like a, that that's pretty clever. And yeah. I, uh, I think for me that outweighs the like, yeah, maybe it's a little too obvious to be like, Oh, could somebody write such a thing? Cause he just it's sort like of trails Simpsons, off. Like yeah. calling attention to the fact that they're on Fox or something. Yep. 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 Exactly. But let's read the last paragraph. Cause maybe this can, uh, and yet in spite of it all, though, of course we may assume that this and that and the other, perhaps even like, it's just totally breaking down, perhaps even dot, dot, dot. And after all, where aren't there incongruities, but all the same, when you think about it, there really is something in all of this, whatever anyone says, such things happen in the world rarely, but they do. I like I, I kind of like that because it, it really is he's sort of like Hal, you know, when like he's starting to get disconnected, he's starting to just kind of say random sentences. But then there's kind of a point, too, which is like fucked up things happen in the world all the time. And, you know, this is just one of them that uh, doesn't happen very often, but this is one of them. And I don't know, but like also not making like a compelling case or or even making sense or having one sentence really follow from the other. But like it just there's somehow I got ties together in a nice way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sort of like one part of it is just completely ridiculous. And the other part is this kind of like. Uh, almost like existential, nobody deserves anything, bad shit happens to this guy. He seems like sort of a bad dude, but not in like a really bad way, but the bad thing doesn't happen that happens to him isn't really connected to like anything that he did particularly. And then he's really distressed by this. And then one day it just kind of, it gets better and he doesn't learn his lesson at all. And he goes back to doing exactly what he was doing. You know, yeah. the end. <laughs> it was like the emergence of the pimple that went away. Right. Like that's as bad right. as like right. as serious as it was. Except he seems to appreciate, like he doesn't take for granted, that, at least at the beginning, he doesn't seem to take for granted. He seems more cheerful than he normally was. I got yeah, that. But so. as we know, the joy, the joy as the moments proceed, the joy will. Yeah. Yeah, will. The jo it's such a great observation. And it's like so cool to me to find like stuff that psychologists study described like so much more kind of like powerfully yeah. and succinctly 200 years ago, more than 200 years ago. Right. It's just, uh, it's, I, I love that paragraph particularly like it's so yeah. observant. I, the only thing I was going to say about that last paragraph is this idea where aren't there incongruities. I think he's calling attention to just the absurdity of life there in a way that's like, you know, like a lot of life doesn't fit together perfectly in spite of the sort of, the lens that we look through that tries to fit it all together. It's it's weird. So I will admit that I don't care for this last paragraph. I, I feel like actually the story ought to have ended in the previous paragraph. Um, there is, there's no, I feel like there's no need to call additional attention to that this is absurd and then tell us like, but absurd things happen because that now I'm left with, is he referring, you know, he just told us that the most absurd thing was that you can go to a newspaper office. You can't go to a newspaper office like that. That's crazy. Right. And then he's like, but even crazier is that I wrote this. And then at the end, he's like, ah, oh, but the world's crazy. You know, let's just admit it. And that seemed, it seemed like, it wasn't quite clear what that added to that, the, to the weirdness. Telling, of the not showing, paragraph. kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, it didn't bother me, but like, I, I kind of was on 
in the bag for the story. And also, like, the narrator is so unreliable in so many ways, like, in the way that it's telling the story that it doesn't come across as preachy in any way. Yeah, and it's it's, it's such a, like, minor part compared to the the whole rest of the story. I mean, I take your point. Like it didn't, it didn't strike me as being like obnoxious or too much in the moment. Um, now that you're pointing this out, I can see how you're like, yeah, that like didn't quite sit right. Yeah. So it doesn't like in the, in the context of, of reading the story, it didn't bother me that much. Um, and it's because I think that when you're in 1836 and you're writing a story this weird, there's no good way, you know, like the readership is going to be like, what the fuck are you smoking, yeah. dude? And like, I feel like he probably felt like he needed to add that. Like, come on, weird shit happens, right? Like, and and so I get I get it. Like, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's more, I think my modern sensibilities were like this kind of absurdities. It, in, in, a, in a story that you wrote now, it would be. Own it, don't apologize. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. I think it's as unapologetic a short story when it comes to <laughs> as you could possibly find like it's it really isn't trying to stick to any kind of coherent theme or um, you know like there's the stuff with the the status and the people's obsession with status and all that but like you know in terms of just you know, you, you get frustrated with stories. You're like, I don't mind if they have this premise, but they have to at least follow the rules that they set, you know, like the, and, and it, this just flat out refuses to do anything like that. And so like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm there is some, with that aspect. I'm, I am too. And there is something in the ability of an author to jar you out of like the way that you're thinking. Yeah. Like he's just like rattled, you know, and <laughs> here's a story like you all were saying, like a couple hundred years old. And it still has the power to like shake me up, like yeah. where just that making me a bit uncomfortable with what's going on is is a, a feeling that I really enjoy. Yeah. Like I actually, you know, that's I, I take it that's just what the the point of the sort of absurdity absurdity is, um, and to use it as a sort of a reflect like a, a way to, you know, like you're saying, Tamla, if there's normal human psychology going on all around this this crazy absurd story like there is just people who are responding in in uh like it's saying something about nor the normal human response but it's it's all wrapped in this like wait <laughs> but how could they possibly be normal but well, this shit is going on right it's it's normal if it if the premise of the story it's like the opposite of ted chang where it's normal more if the thing wasn't happening if the premise wasn't this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're acting as if this thing yeah. isn't happening. Yeah. That's what I mean by normal. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the 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 thing that's happening is obviously like ridiculous. But even it, the nose is like, I, I like don't bother me. I like that the nose is like planning a daring <laughs> escape. Too. Yeah, and he nearly it's made like, it if it hadn't been for that cop. <laughs> the, no, yeah. the nose, the nose is a dick. Let's just say. Yeah, the no, there's <laughs> there's no likable characters in this story. Um, I like the nose. I yeah, think the nose. Really, it's think like it, uh, in in uh, Ex Machina, where like you guys were cheering on like keeping the robot a prisoner. Where I was like, no, fuck that. She she's been enslaved. She can go if she wanted. Right. The nose uh, exists in its own right. It, yeah, if it wants yeah. to make a deal with Riga, then you know, let it. I am me. 
I am me. Yeah. I just love picturing the nose like kind of running and looking backwards. Right. Like, come on, like, I can, I can do up it. its I can coat collar. And like, yeah, also like forging documents. Right. I, li- I like the idea of just the nose getting on the train and it goes away and the nose takes a big sigh of relief. But then suddenly this <laughs> the train just kind of comes to a halt. You hear like the creaking of the brakes of the train and then the nose is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I said more than 200 years. That's not right. 1836. No, no, it's under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 185. All right. But yeah. So that totally undermines your point. I retract everything I said. I mean, if somebody's listening to this in 2036, that's right. You're right. That's right. Uh. I do think also, like, we haven't talked about this, and I read something about this or heard somebody talk about this story like a while back, and I don't totally remember where or what. But like the the way the story is told is also like the narrator is also tells the story in just a kind of disjointed and goofy way, Uh, which is why I forgive some of the last stuff too. It's just like, you know, like he'll he'll just all of a sudden like forget to talk about this or he'll say that certain things are shrouded in mist and we don't know anything about it, but then just tell you what happened after that. And like, so I think that's an interesting part of it too. And like a lot of the things that that the narrator says doesn't make sense. Like when he's talking about Ivan... And says, I think this is the thing that I read, that like he's a cynical guy. And then, uh, so here's the paragraph. Ivan Yakovlevich was a great cynic. And when collegiate assessor Kovalyov told him that while being shaved, your hands always stink, uh, Ivan Yakovlevich. Ivan Yakovlevich would reply with the question, why should they stink? I don't know, my dear fellow, the collegiate assessor would say, but they do. And Ivan Yakovlevich, after taking a pinch of snuff, would in retaliation lather all over his cheeks and under his nose and behind his ear and under his chin. In other words, wherever his fancy took them. But that's like where you would lather anyway. And how does that show that he was a great cynic? How does anything show that he was a great cynic? Like it just, (laughs) the sentences, like the descriptions don't fully make sense or fit together properly. Yeah. I'm I'm just thinking that maybe his hands stink because he eats onions for breakfast. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's like a big old onion. Yeah, it's plausible. Yeah, I also like I like like how um, when when the the police officer catches him trying to ditch the nose in the in the river, he's like, "Oh no!" But like, why don't you come by? I'll shave you. Yeah, you know, two times a week, even three times a week. He's like. Listen, I have three barbers who have the honor of shaving me. <laughs> this isn't about that. And the doctor is like that too. Like I don't even accept. I don't. I wouldn't even accept money. I just don't like to like disrespect people yeah, who are. I'm offering. no mercenary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Tell her what you're saying. Like, sort of, he prepares you a little bit by like ending the sections with like. And by the way, no one ever figured out what was going on. You yeah. know. And and it's. I, again, I think probably the early nature of this kind of writing where maybe he felt like he had to do that because or else you would just be like, all right, where's the, you know, the mystery is going to end. Like uh, the mystery is going to be solved. Like you're still waiting for it. And he's like just kind of getting you ready for the fact that there's no, nothing's going to be explained. <laughs> you're not really going to come out with any sense of satisfaction at the end of this story. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a choice to have a narrator be kind of clumsy in the way that they're telling the story. Yeah, but he's it's clumsy that he's interjecting at that point. But the thing that he's interjecting is don't like don't expect that I'm getting going anywhere with this story. Right. You know? Right, right, like right. 
And, and you're right that he does go, like he does end up saying something. But, you know, it sort of reminds me of this, and this is weird and idiosyncratic, but when I was a little kid and I would watch like Scooby-Doo mysteries, you know, there's always this neat little resolution at the end where you find out who the monster was. And I remember the first time I watched The Twilight Zone and I thought that The Twilight Zone was going to end with an explanation of what happened. But The Twilight Zone isn't that kind of a show. The Twilight Zone is some weird shit happens and it's unexplained. And I had this deep sense of dissatisfaction. Like, you can't just end without telling me what happened. And in some ways, like, I haven't changed that much. because My brain is still trying hard to interpret this. Right. But, like, I have come to enjoy that feeling of being fucked with. Yeah. Where, like, this has the structure of a story and the structure of a mystery. But like, don't, don't get don't get it twisted. This is not going to make yeah, you feel not like, like anything that. is real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think, is there a deep meaning to this? You all? I don't see it. I don't see it. I think it's mainly him just fucking around, having a good time, uh, making fun of rank and title obsession, making fun of superficial St. Petersburg uh, <laughs> state counselors. And that's it. Paying paying money to like stand on a bench only to see the same painting in the shop window that exists <laughs> for ten years. Exactly. Yeah, I resist. I there's something in me that resists the the um. This is what it really means because like I, I there are many things that it could probably really mean, and you know maybe that they're not even all accessible to Google, and yeah. there and I'm sure there's like a lot of the, you know I was reading that Google himself had a weird nose. And so I, I like to just think um, if there is sort of deepness in this, it's deepness that wasn't currently on his mind when he was writing it. Yeah. Just revenge on his nose. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I agree. I have the same resistance towards trying to come up with, but like he's actually saying something really deep about blank. <laughs> Um, but it, maybe if there is, it's something about how the world is like a lot of absurdist literature. The world is really fucked up, but we all act like it isn't, you know? Right. And so um, and I think it does that pretty well in a comic way and not a heavy handed way at all. Um, yeah. There's a lot of mirth in this story that I really appreciated. Like it wasn't it wasn't, tra- you know. I could see someone trying to write a story that was pure allegory about a nose and then this definitely you know, not and just being, yeah. it would not be, it would not be that fun. Yeah. <laughs> but just the idea that like somebody could read the story of our culture and like in a way that was like, wait, it doesn't make sense. This stuff isn't fitting together. Why are people still wearing masks outside who have been vaccinated? Like why, <laughs> like what, why are they doing that? I thought these were the pro science people. What are, this what bothers you, but what, but what you have to realize is that like there are crazy anti-vaxxers that you're probably sympathetic toward who might see somebody not wearing a mask and think like, oh, see, now I can wear, you know, I can not wear a mask. Some I don't that. think I could live <laughs> on the East Coast anymore. Like, I think that would drive me fucking crazy. <laughs> you're so, you're so precious about this. You, what are you talking about? You love fucking Boston. You come I, and get I, your my like, hometown white ass still over has to a fucking mask mandate. My home <laughs> fucking town. Like I, 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 that would I, I, I couldn't deal with that. Uh, like, Yoel, you, you actually—it's your fault in some ways because you went to, um, you drew my attention to some town where there was an outdoor mask mandate, but the like the packed restaurants, <laughs> yeah. just the irrationality of that. But worse to me 
than than the inconsistency is just that people are wearing masks outside at all. No, everybody has known for like a, almost a year that there's no threat to spread outside. And so what the fuck are people doing? Why are they doing this? Who is this for? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, to signal that you're on the right side. It's weird coming here yeah. from, from Canada who, you know, obviously we were giving them shit about the vaccines or whatever, but uh, I do think that they're like, as far as the health policy stuff, they make a little more sense. So I don't think that there's been outdoor mask mandates ever in, at least in Ontario, Ontario and Quebec. And they're very strict with the, uh, like Quebec, for example, hasn't had indoor dining for, I think over a year now. Um, they're pretty restricted with the retail. It's mask mandate indoors everywhere, but outdoors they're like, do what you want. You know, you want to go have a picnic in the park. You don't have to wear a mask. And it's, it's, so it's weird to me to read about and then come here and then see with my own eyes that people are doing this. Like they're literally just out for a jog by themselves. There's in nobody within 20 feet of them and they're wearing a mask. It's just like, I don't know. And they've it. been fucking vaccinated. And that's the, that's it, the icing thing on the it's cake. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a go. That's what I mean. Like the world is fucking crazy. Like it's a it's go-go a, story. It's a, it's a, um, it's the opposite of a red hat right now. Wearing exactly. A mask, it's know? like Trump said masks suck. So we're going to stick it to him and his people by wearing masks everywhere, even if it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We're going to punish ourselves by wearing masks. T- Tamla, you would love Florida. I think, you know, they yeah. haven't been wearing masks indoors or outdoors this whole people dying. You would love the freedom associated with old people dying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, Houston has never had an outdoor mask uh, thing, or at least not since like early June or something. When it became clear by the very scientists that the, the you centrist liberals supposedly trust that it there's it doesn't really spread outdoors that that's not uh, the way it's so, so you think houston was being super sensitive to the science yes that's why exactly um, <laughs> we haven't either here it's all been just like stores you know like yeah which is know, enforcing it or whatever which is yeah. what we do too even now yeah. people do it yeah so um, it's, it's more it's like a, like a social thing right you might get a dirty look or something if you're not yeah. yeah, even though it's not required. Yeah, it's like embarrassed. It's a weird kind of shame. Yeah, but you know what? I am fully vaccinated, so I am raw dogging it left. <laughs> <and> right. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Just Hell showing yeah. your face to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just spray like the slut you are. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't. I I don't do a mask outside here either. Uh, so in I think it's not like everybody's doing it. There's like no. the half maybe. I mean, but you're not on the part- coast. You're some like hick town. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. We're, and where we were in Vermont, it was like actually required in the town. Like there were signs out there, yeah, like yeah. a local ordinance. This is a place with the packed yeah. restaurants. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, on the note of raw dogging it, uh, why don't we wrap up? You also can come back into this room with me. Yeah. Amazing. All right, I'm gonna leave <laughs> you guys too. <laughs> I don't need to be a part of that. Guys, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> thanks for suggesting that story. That was a great idea. Yeah, I'm glad thanks. you guys liked that was it. Great. Yeah. <laughs> this is when Tamler awkwardly waits before he finally says see you next time on oh yeah right <laughs> join us next time on Very Bad Wizards
just a very bad wizard. <laughs>